go. What is up? We're back. Quick turnaround for us here on Football Life presents the Audible on our new time slot, 7 o'clock Eastern on Tuesdays. I am your host, Randy Hammond, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Bushnell. Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good, Randy. Uh, kind of pumped. We have a very special guest, a fellow White Sox fan that really, I take the White Sox to an, another level. This guy always brings it back to the middle. He, he's the leveling force. Well, I like the sound of that because you need some leveling out on the show. So if you, if I am not the end here, Yang, I hope he is. Uh, and we're speaking about Bob Milliken. Of course, he is a Colts fan, and he's going to join us later in the show for our AFC South week. And, Matt, we only got two more weeks left after this, but this division a lot more interesting than you realize off the top. Uh, you think it's like kind of a crappy division. You think about the Jags. You think about their history. But pretty competitive division when you look at it. Give me your quick thoughts on the AFC South here, Matt. I like a lot of the coaching. I like a lot of the players and definitely can be very entertaining. I think it's going to be more entertaining than what people think it will be. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're going to get into that much more a little bit with Bob uh, and we might get some White Sox chatter because we're going to get sports this week, Matt. We're going to get baseball. I'm super excited for Thursday. We're finally going to get some sports in our lives, uh, which leads us to our first talking point here on the show because it is an eerily similar situation that we saw with baseball a couple months ago. And quite frankly, it is unacceptable to me that we are at this point with the NFL, but they have finally, the NFL and the NFLPA come to a, a coronavirus testing agreement, which means that when camp starts, I believe later this week or next week, uh, they will be testing everyone twice before they can even come to camp. And then they're going to test everyone for the next two weeks leading up until camp. And then after that, Based on the results, they're going to go to an every other day testing schedule. Um, my biggest question to you, Matt, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is why the hell did it take until July 21st for this to come down? I don't have a good answer for it, Randy. I think all of this is very valid. And why did you wait so long? You knew what it was. You knew what you needed to do. MLB kind of set the precedent of how this needs to be tested, even the NBA. So you had an entire three months to just kind of view how these different sports organizations were going to move forward in this Corona era. So to me, it really isn't excusable, but hopefully they have the right ideas. They have the right people in charge and that way they can administer this properly instead of flying by the seat of their pants. You just saw how ugly it got with, you know, the baseball players and the owners and Rob Manfred and the ugly negotiations that happened in baseball. And you had all this time, you know, even if you waited till after the draft, which feels like 10 years ago now, but was only two months ago, why didn't you start the negotiations then? Why not come up with a plan then? I can tell you why, at least I can speculate why. They just assumed this was all going to go away. This wasn't going to be as big of an issue as it is still. And that, that is because absolutely inexcusable uh when you run a franchise when you when, or when you run a league and when you have sport, like when there's no sports happening in the world an unprecedented time where nothing is like the whole world stopped basically and you made out like a bandit more than any other league you any other sport the nfl it, it hit the offseason perfect timing is after the super bowl before the draft you had months to come up with a plan to combat this I am very angry that it took until now for this to happen when training camps are just now supposed to happen. And uh, I, I'm not the only one angry. The uh, players are very angry too, which they started the we want to play campaign 
and it's J.J. Watt, it's Russell Wilson, it is um, Drew Brees, a number of players outspoken saying, we do want to play. And it's, this is just excuse me, horrible, horrifying flash text from baseball uh, that they want to play, but they want to play safely. And I, I, I'm very angry that this is happening, but did you see any of the thoughts from the players? To me, Russell Wilson speak most to me because he has a pregnant wife. Uh, obviously those concerns and you have children too. So, you know, any takeaways from the player side of things here, Matt? Yeah, I couldn't imagine knowing what is out there as far as risks versus the ability of what the NFL has to do. I, I agree with Russell Wilson and I agree with all the players that voice their displeasure with this. It's not something that you just want to go into and be like, okay, I'm perfectly fine because football, you, you can't block sweat. You can't block saliva. Like all this stuff naturally comes out. You get hit, stuff's going to fly out of your mouth. I mean, especially if you get hit hard enough. So to me, I just, I side with the players. I will always side with the players in this league because I think for the most part, the owners will try to get away with the bare minimum. And in, in this situation, it really does feel like they tried to get away with the bare minimum. And I'm glad the players said, no, this is not good enough. Yeah, 100%. Um, the fact that, you know, they had the chance to see all the other leagues and see how they responded to how poorly it went in baseball, to how the NBA kind of took control and said, we are going to protect our players at all costs. We are going to create a bubble type scenario. Whether you agree that it should be in Florida or not, it seems to be going well, considering they had no positive cases today. You know, you have seen what works for other leagues like the NHL and the NBA, and you still you know, a little less than two months out from the start of the season now, it's, you know, it's at the very least time to get your acting gear here because this is ridiculous uh, that we're even still talking about this. Um, but that, that leads me to the next point is just before we went live here now uh, in football life, the uh, NFLPA and the union or, and, the, uh, and the owners agreed to a no preseason this year, which we had already known that they cut the preseason in half to just two games. Now it'll be zero games. So with training camp coming up, typically you have your large rosters and you have your rookies and all these uh, fringe guys who are trying to make the roster. And the preseason is a big part of that. But now those te- those players and those teams aren't going to have the chance to properly develop those guys. Matt, you've kind of expressed this before, but how much is this going to impact some teams? I think you're going to see a lot of the teams with the new coaches, new coordinators, really struggle to get off to a good start. Um, too many times you see – that these teams will implement a new offense and it's so predicated on timing. Like you cannot just go into it cold. And even then you take a look at the depth. New coaches may not know the entire roster that well enough versus seasoned personnel. You know, like you take a look at, I think the NFC North has all their coaches coming back. The NFC West has all their coaches coming back. Um, I, I believe even the NFC South only has the Panthers with new coaching then you take a look at the nfc east and we talk about like this it's going to be huge for the cowboys and for the eagles because washington and new york both have new coaching staffs and then we go to our afc south that we're looking at right now all the coaches are coming back i think this division you'll see a very similar cohesive um, divisional play i i think these teams are in good shape it's the new coaches that will struggle the most trying to find and identify players and for the players to get acclimated to their systems. It will hurt a lot of the undrafted free agents. This is going to be brutal for those guys. Um, Teams are not going to go ahead and cut 
you know, a first, second, third, fourth round, fifth round picks. I think if you got drafted in the fifth or sixth round this year, I think you can feel kind of comfortable that you're going to make the roster. And training camp is going to be so huge, and you know you have a certain amount of limited padded practices you can have. And not having that game film, man, it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of teams that have this new regime and for teams to identify players that may not have made the roster, but you saw them in preseason action. You're like, this kid can play. We got him. Yeah. I mean, people look forward to preseason to just being able to watch some football, but it matters so much more to the front offices and the scouts and the coaches who are looking to put together the best roster possible. Right. I mean, I always go back to 2011 when Victor Cruz um, put put his name on the map for the Giants, and you know took a you know a 70 yard touchdown uh, in the first game against the Jets, and he was wearing number three, and it was like, oh, who's this random kid playing? But you never would have noticed that if there was no preseason. And I know that's not like something that happens all the time, but coaches evaluate these guys based on how they play in these games. It's not for the starters that are coming back and the established guys. It is for the depth pieces and the backup corner, the backup safety, who's inevitably going to have to play because of injury or the backup center who is so valuable that more valuable than people even realize that uh, I look at a team like my giants who has a new coaching staff altogether um, with a young team in general that, they are going to struggle putting together the best possible team and getting into a groove with a brutal schedule on top of that. But the no preseason affects a lot of younger teams with a new system in place. So uh, Vince Mercadetti, Giants fan, was on the show last week, comments, it's already going to take 13 games for Jason Garrett to do something. Now it's going to take like 22. Jason Garrett really should be the least of our worries because he's a guy who's been in the league at least, but you never know. I, there's a lot of teams that have a new coaching staff, new systems, new players that are going to struggle with this initially. Um, so when next time, you know, we were watching a preseason game and it doesn't matter the outcome, no, but it does matter for the future of your franchise. So I think a lot yeah. of teams are going to miss having preseason this year for sure. Yeah, I would jump um, in and say real quick, to, to even to that point, Randy, you see a lot of these teams. I think two things will really stand out in the first six, seven games of this season. Teams that have a really good running game should be okay. They should be able to tread water. I think you see the teams with the better defenses, those top echelon defenses. I think you will see those teams get off to a really strong start. So I think that is what we can look forward to. Yeah, I think, you know, the teams that are steady in the trenches, like you said, will be okay. Teams that have, you know, veteran coaching staffs that have been there not really implementing anything new will be fine. Uh, that I totally agree with. And it might be to their benefit if they have a tough schedule or, you know, if they, you know, are playing a team that is kind of young and, you know, still kind of learning and going through all the kinks and everything early. So you, you might see some teams struggle early and then put it together and go on a run late. You know, anything could happen this year with that aspect. So um, I'm going to miss watching preseason because I love watching – players drafted get a chance to play and trying to root for guys who can make the roster I love that aspect of hard knocks which is still going to happen this year but you know hard knocks will follow a team around training camp and then go to their preseason games and determine who's going to make the roster and they follow guys and the storylines and everything Uh, I'm going to miss that this year but you know at least looks like we're kind of in the right direction where we're actually going to get football so I will not complain completely about not having any preseason but the writing is on the wall for the future of football if they don't get their act together with the uh, protocols going forward. Uh, but we do have a player news, Matt, uh, uh, before we get into the division preview here. Uh, one of the best receivers 
in the last decade. And, you know, he's a generational talent for sure um, before he fell off the map. But Antonio Brown tweeted that, you know, he is hanging up the cleats, that he's walking away from the game, uh, no longer going to play football. But uh, you see with these younger guys, he's not really that young anymore. But given Antonio Brown's state of mind, you buy it on this, is he going to come back eventually? I feel it's one of those situations where no team's really going to give him a chance. I, I think this is it, whether he wants it to be or not. You felt like the Bucks maybe, but we talked about how deep the Bucks were. So I don't think that's going to happen. I, Pittsburgh's not going to go down that road again. Oakland's already out of the question. You're not going to see teams like um, the Packers, the Bears, and even teams like the Lions, uh, Colts, any team that has a really established culture, I, why go down that path? I would initially think that maybe the 49ers would kick the tires on A.B., but I, for whatever reason, and I'm sure we'll dig into it during NFC West week, that San Francisco's just not that interested in him. So mm-hmm. I think this is it for him. I I honestly feel, Randy, it's a reaction to how the NFL has responded to him. I, I think it's like, look at me. I don't need you. You need me. And the NFL's like, okay, bye. See you later. Yeah, no one is truly above the league. Uh, maybe if you're a quarterback, you can get away with treating people the way Antonio Brown did. Um, but I, I I don't want to look at the bad with Antonio Brown because, you know, we see these diva receivers and people feel a certain type of way about the Terrell Owens and the Randy Mosses of the world. And I feel like Antonio Brown falls under that category as well, except I think, I think at the same time you could say his behavior was more detrimental to his team at the end. Um, but I just want to point out since 2011, this guy had a tear that, you know, receivers don't have that, that length of time plus consistency that he had. And it benefits that he had a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback and he had an elite running back on his side and a great coach. But this man, you know, was on pace to be a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And I put in a rundown, like, where does he rank all time, which is a silly conversation. But if you look at his talent wise, I think he's up there with just about anybody. Uh, Matt, I want to get your thoughts on like Antonio Brown in the grand scheme of history of wide receivers. Do you consider him amongst one of the greatest? I do. I think the precedent has been set with guys like Terrell Davis, who's in the Hall of Fame. Granted that he was knocked out due to injury. He was never the same running back. And then even guys like, to a lesser extent, Kurt Warner, where Kurt Warner did it in two different places where he really excelled. Obviously, he didn't do so well in New York with the Giants. But, you know, he went to Arizona. And then you take a look at the Super Bowls he was a part of. I mean, Kurt Warner put together three magnificent Super Bowls. So is it fair to compare A.B. to Kurt Warner in that regard? No, but I think A.B. had such a profound impact. Everyone knew who he was. I mean, he was getting drafted in the top three or four picks in fantasy football. So fantasy football players know this guy, especially in PPR leagues. He's probably the number one overall pick. So he was fantastic. I feel bad about the perfect hit because I think that's what really kind of pushed him over the edge. And we talk about head injuries in the NFL so much. And I I really believe Antonio Brown's going to be one of those guys where when they cut that brain open, it's, it's not going to be pretty, but I would put AB in the hall of fame. I think his contributions for when he did it, how he did it and how much he did it for, I have a hard time saying that he doesn't belong. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just going to ra- just ramble off some numbers here. He only played for nine, uh, played for 10 years, and he's got 11,207 receiving yards uh, and 80 touchdown receptions. He did that in 10 years, and one of those years he played one game. Um, and, and that was just last year with the Patriots, and you got to think those numbers would be even better if he had the chance to play all year with Tom Brady. Um, he put up those numbers in such a short amount of time that you would you can't – I think that if he played a couple more years, he would be – you know, right now he's probably 25th all-time in numbers-wise and all-time receiver rankings. He wouldn't be jumping up to that top 10 range if he could have played, you know, five more years. But, you know, at the end of the day, he did it to himself. Um, so I don't feel sympathy for Antonio Brown. Um, but at the same time, I recognize how great of a player he was. I'm glad I got to watch him because he was the best player at his position in the sport for half a decade at least. And that deserves to be recognized as far as I'm concerned. He, how many times did he make the Pro Bowl? Eight times. He was an all, uh, first team all pro five times. Like, that's legit wide receiver one stuff. And, you know, I, at the very least, I'm thankful that I got to watch Antonio Brown play football, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I think when you break down the numbers, obviously, he's not going to get in for longevity. You know, he, he didn't put up a Jerry Rice career, and even to a lesser extent, Chris Carter. But, you kind of take a look at maybe Michael Irvin is the precedent here. I would think that you would look at Irvin's career, similar Mm -hmm. off field problems. Um, Irvin kind of calmed down as soon as he left football, but man, there were a lot of cocaine issues with Irvin and a lot of personal issues, you know, stabbing a teammate with scissors, not always a good look for you, but um, I I put AB in the hall of fame. Yeah. I I have a hard time imagining he'll get, left off I know that T.O. it took three times to get him on which is insane when you look at the body of work that T.O. put together but you know when you have media members voting on these types of things how you treat them eventually will reflect back on you when they vote so will he get in first ballot absolutely not I do expect him to get in eventually uh the numbers speak for themselves his talent his ability on the football field is his game changing ability at any given time certainly speaks for itself when you when you go back and watch Antonio Brown play or how much Big Ben relied on him to make plays, especially um, you can't say enough about Antonio Brown, the player for sure. Uh, But I think it's time now, Matt, to uh, transition into a special week we have now. It's AFC South week. And now we're going to welcome on our special guest, Bob Milliken, uh, who is our resident Colts fan. uh, As you mentioned, also a White Sox fan. Uh, Once Bob connects to the audio here, I'm going to ask him how he's doing. Bob, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you doing today, man? Oh, pretty good. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I know Matt is really looking forward to talking to you about the Colts and talking to you about the White Sox at some point in the show. Oh, nice. You can't have Bob <laughs> on without talking about the White Sox, but <laughs> Bob, you're here for the AFC South. Uh, quick summarization. How do you feel about the AFC South this year? I mean, if I'm a Colts fan, I think you got to make the Titans a favorite. I mean, they... I mean, if Tannehill's even 80% of what he was last year, they're probably a 9-10 to 10 win team, I mean, right there. And because, uh, and I mean, they lose Jarrell Casey, but they had, you know, he's not carrying their defense. He's not like what J.J. Watt was five years ago. I mean, it's, that defense is pretty solid in all three units, so they're still going to have pretty good defense. Um, and, you know, obviously offensively, I mean, the Brent Butters uh, running the ball with a little play action and. So there they got a favorite. And I think after that, I think the Colts of Texas, I mean, 
Colts are the better roster than the Texans, without a doubt. Um, but Texans is a passing league, and the Texans are the better quarterback. Uh, I mean, it's almost opposite of four or five years ago. So the Colts are the better quarterback. The Texans have a defense and a better roster. It's kind of, it's not for long, <laughs> as I say, with the NFL flip. <laughs> and then there's the Jaguars, who, you know, probably will not win many more than five games this year. <laughs> So and that's a that's a perfect transition, Bob, because we're going to start off with the worst team in the division, potentially the worst team in the NFL, uh, that is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and uh, how mighty they have fallen because people forget uh, they made the Final Four just three years ago in 2017 when they went up to New England and lost to the Patriots. Uh, obviously, that was Blake Bortles, and that was a stacked defense, and maybe way back in the day when people still believed in Tom Coughlin. Um, but they are now a depleted team with not a lot of talent all around, but with a young quarterback with that, that the team sort of bought into here. Um, but to me, the biggest thing that I, I think about the Jaguars is they are very dysfunctional and that is totally on the coaching staff. And it was also partially because of the backlash on Tom Coughlin's style uh, and the rules that, you know, made him pretty unpopular in New York. Matt, I want to start with you first. Uh, just give me your overall synopsis on the Jaguars because they are just overall just bad. The coaching staff, yeah. I'm wondering why it's still there. When we take a look at the coaching yeah. staff, I think Doug Marone really struggles for being highly touted. Obviously, I think he started off in Buffalo and then he went to Jacksonville. Coughlin kind of has this idea on how he wants to run the team. Defensively, they lost too many players. They paid big money for that slight window run offensively they've never been really good they tried patchwork with Bortles I think Leonard Fournette is on the verge of being a bust a lot of he gets a lot of carries but not a lot of yards per carry which is you you never want to say that in the NFL offensive line's been kind of a mess wide receiver has been a black hole for this team overall this roster is not good I don't think the coaching staff's good and I think an overhaul is in their future very soon Mm -hmm. Bob we saw last year often that Jacksonville was at least, you know, present defensively in certain games, and Gardner Minshew would play well in other games. Uh, as a Colts fan, do you, how do you, you know, look at the Jaguars in 2020? Well, knowing their history, they'll probably – I wouldn't be surprised if one game against, you know, provided we get a full 16-game season, they always, for whatever reason, the last five years have played the Colts tough in Jacksonville. I don't know what it is. Um, Colts usually get them in Indy. So that, but, I mean, I think – it's a situation they're pretty much riding the string out. They're probably thinking they, they want they either they want Lawrence or somebody else toward the top five of the draft. Or the, yeah, I mean, they might, you know, Minshew could shock. I mean, he wasn't bad. He was pretty decent last year, actually. But, it, I mean, they he's not as cachet as a Trevor Lawrence. And I think their thought is, well, we don't want to bring a new coach in, you know, to throw a season – you know, have his first year kind of washed away and they'll probably, you know, bring a new cup. Maybe a new, because David Caldwell somehow, who was under Coughlin, somehow has been there since 2013, despite the fact he's had seven losing seasons in eight years. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so he might be, you know, you would think this could be a, you know, setting the table for him to leave too. It could be a full, you know, GM, coach, quarterback type of washout. And then, you know, you know, obviously, you know, we had Calais Campbell, and it, you know, if you're not, if you're not trying to compete right now, I get 
<laughs> that um, that's a big loss. I mean, he was when they the the one year they were excellent. He was essentially. I mean, he wasn't defensive player of the year. He's pretty close to it in seventeen. I mean, he's pretty excellent. Um, and they've just essentially it's kind of similar to the the Rams, except they've they regressed even more suddenly than the Rams did. The Rams were kind of aggressive and. But they were still somewhat viable. I mean, they were in a pretty tough division. The Jaguars have just and, and it's just you know you, you look at their trend line the last ten years. It's just all down and then up one up year and then it just goes back down again. Yeah, so. and, yeah. I, they certainly have talent defensively still, despite losing Clayus Campbell and trading away um, uh, the corner, which his name is Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, thank you. And they got a first round pick for him, which was warranted. He's obviously an elite football player. I saw Josh Allen, who I really wanted on the Giants, who I really like. Unique Ngakwe, despite his desire to be traded, is still on the team. Uh, and they drafted Clavon Chason. Uh, they drafted C.J. Henderson in the first round. Um, they have good play. Uh, Cassius Marsh is okay. Um, but overall, you're looking at an incomplete roster, which is kind of amazing considering how good they were a couple years ago, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and how soon we forget that they gave Nick Foles a massive contract just last year to be their guy, and he gets hurt in the first game with a collarbone injury. And uh, now he's in Chicago because of the guy who came in for him completely outplayed him, and that's Gardner Minshew. And despite his struggles, what I love about Gardner Minshew is that he's almost the perfect niche Jacksonville guy because that fan base is kind of quirky. He's got the mustache, the Joe Dirt type look. Um, he's kind of mobile, not the most traditional quarterback ever. Uh, and he played solid in some games. Um, I don't hate the idea of Gardner Minshew going forward, but is this evidently going to end to Trevor Lawrence wearing Jacksonville colors there, Matt? Yeah, definitely. This team, wide receiver, they have issues. Running back, we don't know what Fournette. Fournette may get traded before the end of the year. I think that's more likely than him staying with the team. Also, they traded Campbell for, I want to say, a third-round pick to Baltimore, then obviously Ramsey for that first-round pick. So they're in the process of dismantling this thing. And Minshew may be a good quarterback. I, I like him if it was the 1970s NFL. He kind of fits that crazy persona. He reminds me a little bit of Joe Namath, although I wasn't alive to see um, Broadway Joe. But I kind of feel some of those quirks with him. But I, this team's in sell mode. I don't think Coughlin's back next year. I, and Caldwell, I can't believe seven losing seasons, and he still has a job. That's amazing, Bob. And then, you know, I think Marone's out. So you could see a lot of changes there. And depending on who they get, I think it's going to be an offensive-minded coach with an offensive-minded GM because Trevor Lawrence has to be your guy. Yeah, I think he's everyone's guy at the moment. So – uh, if Gardner Minshew has a regression, which seems to be the, the, the thought that everyone is going with here, that he will take a step back, um, then, you know, even if he doesn't take a step back and he is just average, when you find yourself a no-man's land quarterback-wise in the NFL, you kind of have to pull the plug on the – pull the trigger on Trevor Lawrence, uh, especially if you have the first overall pick, in which I think the Jags are in contention for that, uh, which leads me to my next question. And, uh, Bob, I wanted to get your thoughts first. Uh, where do you see the uh, Jaguars ending record-wise in 2020? So, kind of torn between four and twelve and five and eleven. Um, I let's see. So they'll be playing the NFC North. I don't 
think they'll get too many, many wins out of that. Like I said, they'll probably get one win against – they always win in Jacksonville against the Colts. Um, and that's – this year it's weak. So if, if it's a really tight AFC South race – but it's last year they played the Colts. The Colts were out – you know, everyone was out of it. I mean, if it's a really tight race with them, the Colts – that might change the dynamic a little bit. So I'll go with the low end, 4-12. and 12. Um that's my I mean, yeah, and I think they'll. I don't think they'll draft any lower than. I won't guarantee they get the first picks. I know last year everybody thought Miami was going to get the first pick, and they they still drafted pretty high. And it could be a situation like this. They could be drafting fourth or so, or or have the fourth pick and trade up. You know, it could be mm-hmm. that sort of scenario. But I'd be surprised yeah. if they're not drafting inside the top ten. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man, me too. I'd be shocked if they're not in the top five. Uh, yeah, I, I get your point about the uh, NFC North, and that's, I don't see a win there unless maybe it's the Lions, but I go back to their division, and we'll get to the other three teams. Um, I just think that they're so much worse than the other three teams. I don't know where the win is coming from within their own division. Um, so I, I struggle to find many wins in the schedule because of that. So I'm going to say the peak is 3-13 and 13 for this team, Matt. Uh, what about you? It's going to depend on a lot. I, man, this team seems like it hit – well, first of all, Fournette hates Coughlin, therefore he hates Marone. And I think there's a lot of quit on this team. A lot of players may just want to ride this thing out. They probably don't want to play in the current pandemic. No one really wants to play in Jacksonville. I think this team this team could be rock bottom bad. And I, I'm going to say 2-14. and 14. I think it's going to be really hard for yeah. this team to stay motivated. I could totally see it falling apart like that. I, I just don't see the, a lot of talent on this team. Uh, and if Gardner Minshew is not as entertaining and as plays as well as he did last year, then there's nothing else really there for, to, to prevent that from happening. Uh, I just want to point out that I really love the Minshew to DJ Chark connection. So if you play fantasy football, uh, I would suggest drafting DJ Chark um, if you can. But I just want to point out Tom Coughlin is no longer with the the Jags it's just for the record so he was fired um and I mean it it had to happen everyone had given up on him and he had put in those stupid rules that he put in with the Giants that everyone hated initially in which he kind of rolled back and everyone kind of embraced so I love Tom Coughlin personally as a Giants fan but not the most perfect uh leadership model out there um all right I think we spent too much time on one of the worst teams in the in the sport if you ask me so we're going to move on to uh, the team that made it to the Final Four just last year, uh, which many people were shocked when they went into New England to defeat the defending champion New England Patriots, but the Tennessee Titans, now with their quarterback on lock, with their running back on lock, and much of their team that they had last year minus a couple players, uh, Tennessee Titans are back. And, Bob, I'm going to start with you. My first question is, can they repeat the same success that they had last year? Yeah, I, I and they might get there different way it might not be Derek Henry putting that incredible it could be on their deep you know starting with secondary or it could be, you know they could they're different way but they certainly I mean they have to be in the mix of the top three four AFC teams for sure um because it's just I mean John Robinson their GM's honestly done a really if you think he took over I think after 2015 and they were Maybe I don't know four. Maybe I, I just going off my I'm thinking maybe four and twelve. I mean I know Mariota it was Mariota's first year and they were 
they're terrible. Um, and he was out. He was hurt about half the year. And um, I mean, they picked him second yeah, overall too. So even before that, defense. they were bad. They had an absolute one of the absolute worst defenses in the league. And it's been one of the top ten for about two or three years. So he's really built them up. Um, mm-hmm. So I, yeah, they, I mean, they got to be the favorite. You would think, uh, like, because uh, they just don't have a lot of gaping. I mean, I think when when you think of the Titans, they just don't have a lot of gaping. I mean, the kicking game was issue early in the year, but it's not really an issue now. Um, mm-hmm. And Marietta was an issue. He's not. That's not an issue now. So. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely they could they could get back to the AFC Championship game. I mean, um, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a, a complete shock? That's true. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a two completely different teams depending on which quarterback was under center last year. Um, so Matt, I'm going to ask you now: uh, Can the Titans do what they did last year? This year, I mean, they have all the same pieces. It seems like. I think their offensive line got a little bit worse with losing Conklin to the Mm -hmm. Browns. And that was a big staple of their running game. I think the formula is out there. Make Tannehill throw the ball 20 plus times. I think if, if teams can force Tannehill into throwing, they're probably going to win more often than they're not the opposing team, not the Titans. Defensively, they have one of the best minds on that sideline in Vrabel. Vrabel, I give a lot of credit to. I would probably put him one of the top ten coaches in the entire league. Uh, great at motivating, great at catching the pulse of his team. I think he's one of those guys that has a lot of guts that's not scared to put himself under the spotlight when it's fourth and whatever and you really need to change momentum or you know try to win the game i think with defensive minded teams and i kind of learned this the hard way with the bears throughout the years is that there's always that chance that they're not as good as they were the year before whether it's due to the loss of turnovers variance injuries anything can really affect defenses the one thing i always look at a team as to sustained success is always the quarterback position and i think the titans have the worst quarterback situation out of all these teams in this division at least with gardner Minshew, you kind of know his floor and you're not really expecting much but for a team that we expect to be a playoff team i mean by all accounts the titans should be in the playoffs I do not have a lot of faith that Tannehill can carry this team. He won a lot of playoff games by not throwing the football. And I attribute that to that wonderful defense and that great running game. But you lost one of your key pieces to your offensive line. And really, I think Tannehill is going to be put in a place where he's going to have to throw. So I'm not as high on this team as I know a lot of other people are. I mean, Tannehill really came in and lit the league on fire and played better than he ever had in Miami. It was kind of, I kind of came to a surprise, I think, for most people. Um, but, you know, the Titans have a, a, the right position for him to succeed at the end of the day. They have a great offensive line, or at least a still good offensive line, even losing Conklin. They have a great running game with Derrick Henry. Um, and they have better re- receivers than most people realize. Uh, if you just look at the depth that they have at the receiver position, and I'm going to start with A.J. Brown. Uh, who looks like a mini Julio Jones to me. Uh, he is very good. Um, but you saw Corey Davis, who was a first-round pick. You have Adam Humphreys, who's a good slack guy. Uh, Johnny Smith is a really athletic tight end. Um, Ryan Tannehill didn't just step right in and have all this success because Ryan Tannehill is elite. It's because the Titans themselves put him in a position to be successful. And that, to me, is also on Mike Brable. Because like you said, Mike Brable is the perfect guy 
to figure out the pulse of his own team. And I want to know, and I would love to ask Mike Vrabel personally, if the offer on him to cut off of his own junk, if the Titans win the Super Bowl still stands, because when you, when you say something like that, uh, you catch my attention. I'm sure all the players love that too. Uh, Bob, when you look at the coaches in the division, you obviously have a good one in Indianapolis. Um, you know, Mike Rabel, the mustache, isn't he the perfect guy for Tennessee? Yeah, so I'll admit that's where I, I'm foolish on, you know, I when the Titans hired Rabel, I'm like, oh, I'm glad because this, you know, both the, the Titans got rid of, um, oh, uh, not, it wasn't Munchak, but, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, Jeff Fisher, or what are you yeah. thinking of? Yeah, uh, in between. Even more recently than that. Yeah, Monchak and Vrabel, their last coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same time the Colts moved on from Magano. I'm like, oh, I'm gl- really glad. I, I like Rick, but I'm like, oh, I, I didn't think Vrabel would be that great of a coach because the, the Texans didn't have a great defense. Now, J.J. Watt was certain. The Texans didn't have a great defense in one year as coordinator, and I thought, oh, a lot of these Bell- guys connected with Belichick to start. Mm-hmm. Great but I mean, he, I mean, he really would in the playoffs. I mean, he – I mean, he outcoached Belichick and um, and Jarn Harbaugh. I mean, those are two of your probably top five coaches right there. And really, what I mean, they didn't really lose the Chiefs because of coaching. I mean, they ran into just a high-powered offense with a great quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, he, I mean, he he fits a kind of a tough, physical, you know, run the ball, play solid defense type of team. Kind of fits his personality. Yeah, I mean, to go into New England and, you know, it's kind of you – know, the game wasn't as close as the score indicated, I don't think. Uh, Rabel completely outcoached Belichick in that game. Uh, and he also went to Baltimore, people forget, and then completely outcoached John Harbaugh too. And the Ravens were the one seed – or the one or two seed and had the reigning MVP on their team. So, despite coming into a – running into a buzzsaw in Kansas City, which, like you said, I don't really fault them for – um, they beat two really good teams in the playoffs en route to the Final Four there. Matt, I know you're kind of down on the Titans here, so I will just give you the floor now. Um, given the fact that they were a Final Four team and they still have a really good roster, do you think this division has caught up to them? Are they going to be able to repeat? Give me your team prediction for the Titans in 2020. I, I say they nab a wild card and they finish 10-6. and six. Okay. Uh, Bob, what about you? I think – They'll go ten and six, but when the I think ten and six could get because I don't see you know Colts, you know, my Colts or Texas being a you know, dominant 12, 13 win teams. Or I think ten and six actually could. It might be depending on tiebreakers to get the division. That's where I'm going to go ten and six too. Well, yeah, I think that's right. I think you guys nailed that nine and seven, ten and six range for me as well. I uh, totally could see them getting one of those wild card spots. Um, but I think we have a division winner and what we're talking about in a little bit, which we're going to get to uh, last. But we have another team now um, with the best QB in the division. And I don't think that's even controversial to say. Uh, but the Houston Texans, uh, Deshaun Watson is, the, is one of the most talented playmaking QBs out there. Um, he has some inconsistency issues. But when you look at uh, some of the plays that he can make and, you know, the roster that they have, it's hard not to love Deshaun Watson, Matt. I know you, that you're kind of critical on some things with Deshaun Watson, but this team to me just feels like the number four show. I'm only critical on Deshaun Watson in parts because of how I view his talent. I think his mm-hmm. talent over exceeds his production on the football field. 
he's had some clunkers of games. I mean, I've seen Deshaun Watson struggle against teams like the Chiefs, the Titans, even a game against the Colts last year. Um, he struggled against the Jags. So there are some games out there that you know the talent's there, but the production's just not matching that talent, which is kind of frustrating as I met Texans fans would be. What I noticed on tape when I was looking at Deshaun Watson, he would always wait till that last minute for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins or even when Fuller was healthy for, to complete that deep route. And that may be more of a Bill O'Brien staple of that offense, but, man, let's face facts. Watson's a smaller quarterback. He, he's not built large. He suffered, you know, two ACL tears, one in college, one in the pros. And he just takes some horrific punishment. He's able to get out of sacks, but he really has to start working on getting rid of that ball on time. I noticed wide receivers being open, but he would wait until Hopkins broke his route to get open, which, you know, the old mantra in the NFL, you live to fight another down. And it always felt like Watson wanted that big chunk play, which worked for them. I just wish Watson would stop taking so much of the abuse that he takes. And granted that they had Laramie Tunsil in that trade, which helped their offensive line. But man, it really kind of feels, and Bob, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it almost feels like the, Texans have depleted their roster much like what the Colts did when they got Andrew Luck and Andrew Luck just took beating after beating after beating and when finally the Colts get this fantastic offensive line which I absolutely love they don't get enough love with that Colts offensive line but man I'm not sure how much longer Watson's can last in this Texans offense yeah I think Uh, it is do you find that to be go ahead go ahead yeah I think that is a uh, apparel and and Watts similar to Luck he does I mean Luck also hang on to the ball a long time and you know that leads to some of the hits I mean some of it's really bad pass protection even though it got a little better for the Texans last year when they had a tonsil um I I think I mean I definitely think he's I mean he's not a Patrick Mahomes but he's a very good star quarterback um and he's very elusive in the pot you know and buying time to make throws. And that's, you know, that's very important when you don't have a good offensive line. Um, it's a, yeah, yes. To kind of work in the timing. And I don't know, they have the coaching to coach him out of that tendency to get, you know, he does he have that? Yes. Cause I mean, I know most, including maybe have some doubts on Bill O'Brien. Um, as far as uh, coaching some of that out of it, you know, a little bit, you know, you can't completely coach it out of where he's just a boring drop back passer, but, you know, this, you know, getting rid of that ball, maybe that second quicker. Um, but I, I, I see what you're saying, uh, but, but he, I, he definitely makes a big, him alone makes a big difference versus, you know, taking him away from that roster and they're, you know, they're in Jacksonville territory. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of this team, uh, a fan of a team in this division, you don't want Deshaun Watson to clean up these issues because he's already extremely talented. And if he cleans up some of those problems, he's going to be an even bigger issue for the rest of the division and the rest of the league. Uh, He certainly holds on to the ball too long. He certainly takes hits he should not take. Uh, I think a lot of those things were maybe waiting for DeAndre Hopkins to get open, waiting for a long play to develop to Fuller. Um, But maybe that is why, in which this is a, 
transition to the other uh, issue I have with the Texans is that they traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals in return for David Johnson, who is an overpaid running back who, you know, they completely bail out Arizona in that contract. Um, when you already got production out of Carlos Hyde, out of Duke Johnson, you don't need those guys that are overpaid like that to be the workhorse back when you can make those other guys work like that. Um, the biggest issue with this team is not the little, little uh, issues that Deshaun Watson has. It is Bill O'Brien being the head coach slash GM slash end-all, be-all decision maker for this franchise. I cannot stand Bill O'Brien any longer. Uh, and his replacement for DeAndre Hopkins is uh, Brandon Cooks, different kind of player. Maybe he thinks that they can fit the offense a little bit better. But to me, Bill O'Brien is a huge issue. And Ryan Shiner in the comments a little while ago saying Deshaun Watson is going to get traded and going to get paid would not put I would not put it past Bill O'Brien at this point to trade the best quarterback in the division, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league, uh, probably for an aging running back at this point. Um, but Matt, <laughs> we talked about Bill O'Brien earlier in the offseason. You know, it's, this guy's kind of locked into this situation, right? He's not really going anywhere, unfortunately, for Texans fans. I mean, he's destroyed this roster uh, up and down. I mean, he traded Clowney for a bag of chips. Just th that trade was awful. And then you take a look at that trade, and then you go get Laramie Tunsil. You trade two first-round picks. And I, I know you needed an offensive lineman, but Laramie Tunsil's not the offensive tackle you trade two first-round picks for. I'm sorry. He's a really good player. He's not a great player. He's not two first-round picks players. And then you have this supremely talented DeAndre Hopkins, still I think two years or three years left on his contract. So the contract wasn't an issue. And you trade him for a second-round pick in David Johnson. You, you, you trade two firsts for a good tackle, and then you trade a top-three wide receiver for a second-round pick and a running back that, at the end of the day, his career is pretty much – lackluster I don't understand why Bill O'Brien has player personnel control it, it is a disaster it's been a disaster since he's had it and ever since you read those articles about him I believe it was Rick Smith that was the old GM um, left due to his wife and, and I thought Rick Smith did an excellent job and if I'm wrong with the name I'm sorry but I thought he did a great job building the roster look at the talent he accumulated he was very shrewd in his negotiations but O'Brien had issues with them seeing what we see now with O'Brien and what he's done I don't blame Rick Smith for having issues with O'Brien wanted O'Brien is not a good evaluator of talent and I hope Watson gets some help in Houston he's going to get paid somewhere probably Houston because that's where you know they've made money now they have money to pay Watson I think that's part of the Hopkins trade Man, this guy is probably bottom of the barrel per player personnel-wise. With that being said, I don't hate his offensive play calling. I, I think it, there's a good rhythm. There's a lot of things that make sense. He's going to have to have Watson trust the underneath routes and be willing to take those five-yard ins and those five-yard outs. If Watson can take more of those and more dump-offs to the running backs instead of waiting for the big play, the offense will probably look a little bit better but, man, without first-round picks and without getting help defensively, this team is going in the wrong direction in this division. No doubt, Bob. It's got to feel nice uh, when you root for a team in a division that has Bill O'Brien kind of running the show, right? Yeah, I mean, imagine if they had a John Harbaugh type of coach. I mean, they'd probably be a Super Bowl favorite. 
mm-hmm. with that type of, you know, or, or and, and a real, I mean, really not even that as much as the real gym. Mean, that's the thing. I mean, Bill Belichick and I, you know, Pete Carroll, some personnel control and see it on it too. Very few coaches can handle wear both hats. I mean, Chip Kelly tried it and he failed. Um, McDaniels basically did that in Denver. I mean, he basically was a de facto GM in Denver. He failed miserably. So very few. I mean, Bill O'Brien, the GM, might eventually get Bill O'Brien, the coach, fired one of these days <laughs> is my, what happens. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if it's not this year, then you're after. I mean, um, I mean they've done just enough. He's done just enough where he's been able to make the playoffs and get to the second round just enough where he can't, they can't really pull the trigger and move on from him. But <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I agree, Bob. I that that's the perfect scenario for Houston fans. Bill O'Brien, the GM, gets Bill O'Brien, the head coach, fired. Um, <laughs> you know, off, offensively, I I do like Bill O'Brien. I I think he's not a bad offensive guy, but player personnel-wise, the guy sucks. I mean, he's among the worst, <laughs> and he's destroyed this Houston franchise. Which um, I don't care about them. I care about Deshaun Watson, but not Houston. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, between Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien, uh, one of them's not making it here in the long run, potentially not either of them, depending on what happens here. Um, but just looking at last year, one of the biggest issues I found with the Texans was just inconsistency as a whole. Uh, they struggled against good defenses. They had six games with less than 14 points, which for a team that was 10-6 and six and made the playoffs is a lot of games where they kind of just disappointed as a whole. Uh, but they also have games, you know, where they put up 30-plus points. They absolutely routed the Falcons uh, and they scored 50-plus in that game. Um, I don't know. Can they be a little bit more consistent in 2020? I kind of am skeptical because of the lack of talent they have on their team compared to last year and because they still have Bill O'Brien in place. I, I just – I don't see this team getting any more consistent. Matt, I'm sure you feel the same way as I do on that, right? Yeah, there's nothing to indicate that this team is going to be different from what it was last year. If anything, it's probably going to be worse than it was last year. With I, I think the Titans got better in a few areas. I, I think the Colts got massively better in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. So, to me, I just feel like they'll beat up on Jacksonville. They'll probably steal a game from either the Colts or the Titans. But other than that, I don't see a lot of noise from this team. Yeah, uh, I have a hard time feeling, hard time imagining them just magically becoming more consistent. Uh, <laughs> a lot of those issues are still still remain, as far as I'm concerned. Um, which which leads leads me. I mean, they they still beat the Bills in a questionable game. I mean, it was a, a kind of an ugly football game in the wild card round against the Bills. Josh Allen kind of single handedly won that game based on his incompetence, um, and then. They go up 24 nothing on the Chiefs in the playoffs and just fall apart completely. Bill O'Brien kicks a field goal when you're already up 24 nothing, misses the field goal, and then it all falls apart after that. It ends up giving up seven straight touchdowns to the Chiefs, I, I think it was, um, which I credit more to the Chiefs than the Texans, but it was the perfect storm for Houston. Um, I don't know if that kind of loss will have a lasting effect. I kind of feel like it does. So, Bob, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what will be the Houston Texans record in 2020? So, yeah, I've kind of torn between eight and eight and nine and seven. Um, and, they, and, you know, I, I now that I mentioned, I don't really, not really too enamored with their defense. They lost DJ Reader. They didn't really gain much. I mean, I mean, you thought if they were going to trade, 
Hopkins and bring a veteran back, you'd say be somebody on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, running backs, especially when you have a good quarterback like Watson, they're not, especially running back, like an expensive running back's not actually your top priority, <laughs> but it's when you have a coach that's your GM, uh, there you have it. So I'll, uh, they seem to always find their way to nine and seven. So I, I'll say nine and seven. Um, yeah, I'll go with the nine and seven. Um, and I don't, I think they'll probably, I think nine seven, yeah, they'd be, that might be just outside the playoff, outside like the, um, the final wild. I mean, they'll be kind of that border of the last wild card, I'm thinking. Yeah, I think that, you know, they were, you know, one of those teams that lost games they probably should have won and won games that you were surprised that they won last year. They lose to Denver at home in a game that they totally should have won. And then they beat New England uh, on the road. I think it was a Sunday night football game that kind of caught everyone off guard. Um, but I'm with you. This year, they're going to take a step back. They are going to miss DeAndre Hopkins, I think, at least for the beginning of half of the year. Uh, Brandon Cooks is not DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, they're going to learn that really quickly here. Uh, J.J. Watt is not the same guy that he once was. Whitney Merciless, still a good player, not the same guy he once was. Kind of a young athletic secondary that I like a lot, but I think this team is going to struggle, especially with Bill O'Brien. I think it's going to be a 500 team at 8-8. Eight eight. Matt, what about you? I feel like this DeAndre Hopkins trade is going to reverberate in that locker room, and I think there's going to be a lot of distrust on Bill O'Brien. You know, they see Laramie Tunsil. They see the loss of the first, you know, two first-round picks. Running back wasn't a problem last year for this team. I, I don't think running back should be a problem for any team. If you can't run the football, that's an offensive line issue, in my personal belief. So I don't buy that Bill O'Brien's going to come out of this season unscathed. I, I really think this team's going to struggle. But with Deshaun Watson being that X factor, I'm going to go 7-9, and nine, but I wouldn't be shocked at 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah. All right. I think we're all kind of in the same range there. Um, I would not be shocked if Deshaun Watson is good enough to carry them into a better record than that, potentially a playoff spot. But uh, there's so many other question marks beyond him that I, I feel bad for him at the end of the day. But um, it's time to move on here. And I think you guys are more excited about this segment of the show than uh, than I am for obvious reasons, Bob, you being a Colts fan and Matt, you becoming a Colts lover in the last month or so. Uh, but Indianapolis Colts are the team we're going to wrap up the division with here. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind when I think about the Colts, especially given the luck situation, him just abruptly retiring, um, is that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich it is just a well-run organization. Um, Bob, you are oh so lucky to root for a franchise that is so well-run. Yeah, I. Yeah, this will be and this will be a big year for. I mean, because last year was just the timing of the retirement. It was almost. I mean, it kind of torpedoed. It torpedoed the ceiling of the season. You know, uh, it is it'd be even hard to make the playoffs um, given the timing of you know, two weeks before week one. Uh, but no, I definitely I mean, Ballard, it seems like he's kind of had a measured plan. His first couple of years is very frugal, just kind of laying the groundwork for the drafts, you know, getting um, Nelson Leonard, Anthony Walker. Um, and then this year is a little more aggressive. You know, we made the trade for Buckner. It's a little counter to what he'd done the first three years. I think it's all kind of just a plan to be more competitive in 2020. Um, and, uh, yeah, I definitely – and 
you know, right, hopefully, you know, Rivers, his ex is um, relationship with Reich, you know, in San Diego. Um, hopefully, they'll coach this well. But it's, but yeah, I, I definitely like um, two of them, their roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, give me your quick synopsis on the Colts and how well, how just strongly run they are. I mean, it, as you're a Bears fan, I'm a Giants fan. We just, we yearn for this in our lives. Well, Chris Ballard was with the Bears for quite a while, um, especially under Jerry Angelo in the early 2000s. Um, a lot of players, uh, a lot of people credit him with guys like Peanut Tillman, Lance Briggs, um, a lot of those guys, Alex Brown, and even get an Ottawa Agunle um, on that defensive line, and of course, Tommy Harris. So he really had a really good plan with the Bears. And then Chris Ballard goes with the Chiefs, obviously has success with the Chiefs. I, I really feel like Chris Ballard was should have been the Bears' GM. Everything lined up. And what Ballard has done in Indianapolis makes me so envious of what has happened with the Bears. I, I, I like Ryan Pace. I think Ryan Pace definitely drafts a different style than what Ballard does. Ballard drafts football players, and you can see that with a lot of his picks. Whereas Pace is drafting a lot of athletes based off of, you know, glimpses. You take a look at Kevin White, Leonard Floyd, um, Mitch Trubisky, and, uh, you know, no need to dig any deeper than that. But, man, I love the Nelson pick, and for the life of me, I cannot figure out why. Everyone throughout the draft, you know, you listen to a lot of experts, he was pegged. Everyone knew he was probably the best player in that draft. And five teams are like, we don't want a Hall of Fame guard. And all of those teams had offensive line question marks. And there goes Nelson falling to the Colts. And I thought it was a perfect fit because Andrew Luck needs protection. And then the Colts get Anthony Costanzo, who I think is a really good offensive lineman as well. And I just love what, how this team is set up. And I agree with Bob that that luck tray or the luck retirement just, it, it deflated the balloon. And as good as Jacoby Brissett seemed to be in New England, and as good as he showed in glimpses, especially against the Texans last year, Brissett always kind of felt like a good backup quarterback. Like if, if you needed a backup quarterback, Brissett's the guy. He can't start 16 games for a franchise and you to expect to make the playoffs with that quarterback. So I think Rivers is a vast improvement. I think the coaching staff, when they lost Reich in San Diego, hurt Rivers a lot. I'm not a huge Marlon Mack fan as a featured running back, and for them to get one of the top two running backs in the draft and Jonathan Taylor was a huge cue, coup behind that offensive line there's a lot to like here and I have not even touched on the DeForest Buckner trade I would trade two first round picks for DeForest Buckner I love DeForest Buckner I can't believe that the 49ers traded him but man when they did there's a lot of things this defense Darius Leonard when I watched I watched about four Colts tapes you know the coaches film and the one thing that stuck out to me was how poorly that defensive line were able to penetrate, and then when they did penetrate, how many tackles they missed. I think DeForest Buckner is such a huge upgrade for that defense that I really fell in love with this team once I kind of put all those pieces together. Matt, you're blowing your load talking about the Colts here. You're completely blowing up my rundown on me, man. Calm down. 
hold your horses, damn it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you talk about how well the how run that well run they are, and after the Andrew Luck situation, you you feel bad because he was totally the guy, and they go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, and he had all these injuries. Uh, and then, it, it, you know, insert Jacoby Brissett, who they already had, I believe, because of Luck's injury, which was a low-risk trade to begin with. So that was a smart decision just to have a guy to plug in in case of injury. Uh, you ride it out with him for a year. You kind of see he's not the guy. Like you said, he's a good backup option to have. Um, now you bring in a veteran in Phillip Rivers who uh, never really got the job done in San Diego. A lot of things probably beyond his control. But, you know, he's a future Hall of Famer. Bob, I want to hear your thoughts on Philip Rivers as a Colt. Do you have any faith in him in 2020? He's kind of old now, right? Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to have a great season. I think he could have a decent season. And a decent season with this team could do pretty well. You know, the team could do pretty well. I mean, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, a decent season versus, you know, the, say the 2016 Colts had one of the worst defenses in the league. That's going to get you – six, seven wins, but, you know, these season, this team, we can do a little better. So, you know, I don't, ex- I know 2018, he had, a, you know, probably a top seven, eight, I don't not expecting that, but maybe somewhere in between 2019, 2018, be a goal, you know, if he could do that, that is realistic. I mean, yeah, I mean, to probably win the whole, to win the Super Bowl, he'd need to be probably a top five quarterback, but, you know, to, to have a, you know, good solid season or goals are, you know, Saw a playoff team. I think some, you know, somewhere in between the 18 and his 19 seasons would be acceptable. Um, and you know, hopefully, adding Taylor, you know, kind of gives takes a little bit off his his plate offensively that to not have to force quite as many throws, um, but at the same time not be as I think so. The, the issue with Brissett, I mean, Brissett was very, very careful with the football. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he probably had one of the lowest turnover rates for any quarterbacks in the league, but it's almost like he's afraid to make plays. I mean, he got he's a little bit balanced there. So, yeah, I, I'm optimist. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I saw that a lot on the tape, too. Like, Brissett just wouldn't take chances. The first open guy he saw underneath, that ball was out of his hands which may have been designed, but, man, it just kills you because you see some guys like T.Y. Hilton break free from a defender. Um, The game that stood out to me was actually the first game where I was like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. Um, He had a couple guys open towards the end zone, especially in that first half, and he just always dinked and dunked it, didn't want to make that throw. So I think Phillip Rivers is a huge upgrade in that department. He may get you more turnovers, but I think the reward's going to outweigh the risk on that one. I just love the Reich, the Reich aspect of this. I think with a veteran quarterback like Phillip Rivers, uh, who's not going to be afraid to pull the trigger on some of those throws, uh, you're not going to see the timidness that you saw with Jacoby Brissett. And I like Jacoby Brissett's like mobility and his ability to you know, gain first downs with his legs. You're going to lose that completely with Phillip Rivers, but I think you're going to add so much more value with some of the throws over the middle, uh, some of those out routes, which I hate the way Philip Rivers throws in general, like his mechanics are severely flawed, but it's worked for him for 16 years now. So who am I to question it at this point? Um, I love their roster. I love their offense, but um, we, Matt, you briefly touched on it a minute ago, but 
Uh, they traded their first round pick to the Niners for DeForest Buckner, which is seems to be the one spot on their team that it was lacking, which was, you know, front seven pass rush of some kind. Uh, I love Darius Leonard. I love their secondary. And now it seems like they'll have some sort of a pass rush to complement all of that. Uh, Bob, you can go first here, but, you know, have, what have you seen from DeForest Buckner? Uh, do you think that he can kind of elevate that defense to the next level where, you know, there is no kind of hole there? I think elevate the front. So there's, I, th- I still think there is a slight question at corner because, he had, you know, Xavier Rhodes didn't have a great year in 2019 with the Vikings. Uh, now, But granted, it's kind of, it was kind of a one-off. I mean, the rest of his Viking center is a pretty good player. But I think he'll elevate the you know, if he can elevate the front seven to the point where it takes a lot off the secondary that, you know, Cortex, they have to get rid of the ball, you know, another a second quicker. And, you know, if they can control the running game where, you know, corn, they're not, corners aren't essentially, ta- and especially you know, Colts running a Tampa too. They're not running a lot of man, running a lot of zones where Cortex are making mistakes because they're, they're, rushing into decisions that you know, Buckner could maybe play into that up front to kind of take pressure off the um, back. So I, I'd say last year there were, you know, there were maybe out of the 16 games or probably five or six games where I had a nice pass rush in the other 10. You're like, well, it could really be better up front. So, um, so that's where I think, but, you know, just, and they never really have too many, in the front four that, you know, command any double teams and they'll command some of that. And that helped Dustin Houston. Um, if, if Kameko Therese, I mean, that's an F because he missed a lot of last year. If he's healthy, you know, could help him. So. Uh, I, I forgot about Justin Houston. I really love the Buckner compliment to Houston. Uh, now that you mention it, but Matt, you said you would have traded two first round picks for DeForest Buckner. You obviously think the world of him. What impact is he going to have on this defense? It's going to be huge. He's going to shut down the running game to one side of, well, between the center tackle, whatever side he lines up on. It's going to disrupt a lot of the running game. Teams aren't going to be able to attack that aspect. And it's, I think what you're going to see from Darius Leonard is going to be a really good all-pro year because this gives Darius Leonard even more ability to roam towards the field. He's great sideline to sideline. I love how he attacks the ball carriers. So it helps that aspect of this defense. The question is, can they neutralize Buckner when they're passing the football? And I think Buckner has shown the propensity to break double teams. That's what made that San Francisco front so good. Bosa was great, but they also had Buckner. So it's like you almost had to double team both of them, but Buckner could still break the double team as could Bosa. So I like Buckner in that regard. They can't triple team him. Uh, you know, a guy that kind of s- stood out to me was Muhammad on the defensive line. I think, you know, this will be his fourth year. Last year was his third year in the league with a little bit of pressure off of him. Cause I felt like he was the guy that I saw causing a lot of the disruption but he also attracted that chip, whether it was from a tight end or a running back. So Buckner's addition helps him and also Houston's addition. So I think Muhammad could be in line for one of those sneaky breakout years. I like Xavier Rhodes on this team. I, th- I think at his age, he's probably better suited for a cover two um, type of defense, which will really help him. 
so with this defense, I, I think it helps. You know, they can be healthy. They can attack the football. The coaching's there. There's so many pieces to this team. I, I think definitely they fill the requirement of a top 12 defense in this league. Yeah, and that's not even including other guys um, like Rocky Sin, who was solid for them last year. I really, you know, Malik Hooker, as Jacob points out in the comments section, I mean, he, he's super underrated. I don't think people realize uh, how good of a player he is in the secondary for the Colts. Um, I, I mean, we, we, I know how much you love the Colts, Matt, and Bob, obviously you're optimistic about the Colts. I didn't get to watch a lot of tape on the Colts, but looking at their roster and seeing the upgrade at quarterback and seeing the upgrade on the defensive line, it's hard to imagine that this team will not win the division this year. Uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you. I want to get your official Indianapolis Colts team prediction. I think this team is going to be really good and a problem for a lot of teams. I think they go 12-4. and four. <laughs> Bob, are you that uh, excited for the Colts as this, Matt? I, I'm a little more – maybe I just don't want to uh, jinx their box. Been, I mean, since 2015, <laughs> there have been a lot of ups and downs of the franchise, you know, just a lot of strange thing ever since ever since a lot got hurt in that Titans game the third week of the 15 season. So I'm going I'm more conservative side on 10 and six. Um, just it's you know it's kind of you know if you got if you get the 2018 Rivers and I think you're looking at 11 plus wins. And like I said, I'm kind of going. In between, I'm going to guess he goes in between 18 and 19. Um, and and I'll, you know I'm there's still a little uncertain at our secondary. Um, just a little you now. And, and you know, and we got and then wide receiver. Um, now it's not, you know we'll need the rookies to you know like Pittman and you know Campbell. I mean he's second year player almost a rookie and they're. So I'm not quite gung ho to go beyond it. I'm going to stay at ten and six, but um, so I kind of have them and Titans kind of tied at ten and six. Is how I yeah show some respect to Ryan Shiner's favorite player Michael Pittman Jr. I mean he's a big fan favorite uh, in these groups. Uh, I think he'll be he'll do good things for you guys. Yeah, I, I think well, they definitely needed a. I've been an argument with Colts fan. I say yeah, we really they said well, you know sigh so don't. I think as I know we really need that kind of one receiver at a high point football. So I think he'd be that guy, and I was really excited when they got him. Uh, second round of this draft. So. Did that, I like your tight ends, too. Yeah, go I'll ahead, say now. this. I, I want to go back to Pittman and Taylor. That second round, what the Colts pulled off was highway robbery. Getting Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. I, I'm a huge USC fan, Bob, so I've watched a lot of USC yeah, football. Nice. And Michael Pittman is exactly that big body, 6'4", 6'3", 225. He, he will definitely high point the ball. That red zone target, I think what a lot of you saw with where Rivers really excelled was having Antonio Gates in the red zone and Rivers not having that tight end, you know, a quality tight end. I liked Hunter Henry, but I never, I think people were too high on Hunter Henry. I never fell in love with Henry, but with Michael Pittman and Rivers, Rivers going to throw it up. River throws one of the more beautiful back um, pylon fades in the NFL. I love when River chucks that one up. I love this combination. I think Michael Pittman as a rookie will have a very modest season, but he'll be one of those guys who are like, man, the Colts stole that guy. And Jonathan Taylor as well. They had a magnificent second round and it hats off to Chris Ballard again. So I, I love their wide receivers. 
I, I will say too, I love their tight ends because uh, Jack Doyle has been a solid tight end for a long time. Uh, and I think that Philip Rivers is going to like throwing a Jack Doyle over the middle of the field. Trey Burton kind of got lost in the shuffle there in Chicago. It was not used very well at all, but I could see him being successful in Indianapolis. You saw what they did with Eric Ebron, who was uh, a bust of all busts in Detroit, and he came into Indianapolis and scored 10-plus touchdowns in a season. So I would not be surprised if Trey Burton has some success. Um, that's not the only position, though. I mean, running back is deep. I mean, they have Marlon Mag and Jonathan Taylor, of course, but then, you know, you still have Naheem Hines. You still have Jordan Wilkins, who played for Marlon Mack when he got hurt last year. So there's a lot of weapons here. And if the Colts play their cards right, a lot of those guys can be fresh come playoff time. Uh, you said 12 and 4. Bob, you said 10 and 6. I'm going to go right in the middle here at 11 and 5. But I just want to get, I just want to read the room here. And I want to just find out just how excited you are. And Bob, I know you're going to be a little bit more of a reasonable fan and not jinx your team. I totally respect that because I'm the same way. Matt. Is this a Super Bowl caliber team for you? Because I feel like I'm getting those vibes from you. See, this is not a fair question, Randy. It's not a fair question. <laughs> I, I, I love the roster. I, I think there's so many good things about this Colts team. But what the Chiefs do, and we'll get it when we hit AFC West, AFC West that team is on a different level because – you can't stop scoring. You can't have a three and out against the Chiefs because, as we saw in the playoffs, you could be up 24 nothing and it doesn't matter. They played the best defense in the NFL against the 49ers, and they came back in the second half like the 49ers' defense didn't even exist. This, that Chiefs team is otherworldly. If they were in the NFC, I would say, yes, this is a Super Bowl team. Being in the AFC – and going against, and I, I think the Chiefs, you got to start using that D word. Patrick Mahomes is the real deal. He, he neutralizes every defense in the NFL, and I will not bet against the Chiefs ever. I learned my lesson when they were down double digits in both AFC playoff games. I'm not going to do it again. I, I love this team, but I just can't see anyone getting past the Chiefs. And you're not a Super Bowl contender if you're not the Chiefs. Well, I – if they never want to ring with Andrew Luck, and I know that that was kind of incomplete of how it ended, I have a hard time believing that they're going to win one with Andrew uh, with uh, Philip Rivers, I should say. Um, Bob, I, I know you're going to temper your expectations for the Colts, but could you see this team at least being in the Final Four, or at least playing an AFC title game? I think it's possible. If they're, I think if they could, if they could get to that. Avoid, if they could avoid Kansas City, essentially, you know, get to like that second round and not play the Chiefs until <laughs> that part, I think it's certainly. I mean, I'm not. I'm predicting more. You know, maybe around two, kind of like 2018. Um, it's certainly possible. Uh, and I, yeah, obviously Kansas City has to be the favorite. I mean, Baltimore. Granted, I mean, going into the playoffs last year, oh, I mean, that looks like a Super Bowl team. Then they come and just get mm-hmm. you know, steam steamrolled by Titans, so you just never know sometimes football it's a one game situation mm-hmm. um and i you know as a colts fan i i'm not feeling you know right before the end of peyton manning like i was like oh, i want that i knew the time and i didn't know how short the time was i like, oh, the time i want that set. i i feel like this was more like okay i kind of want the roster we kind of make this roster look like even you know river's not going to be there very long obviously max two years could even be one year we you know who knows um, I mean, he's already got plans for his next career. So, you know, he's not going to plan to be a high school coach in four years. <laughs> so, you know, if they could right. have the roster, it's like, well, you know, you could put in 
you know, whether it's Jacob Easter or they draft somebody else, and he's just in a you get drafted the Colts, the quarterback, it's almost the opposite of luck, who's in kind of a dice situation. He's in the perfect, like people say they're in the perfect situation. I think that'd be able to come out of this year if you could say that and and do do well, you know, be somewhere around where all of our three predictions are, even if we don't go straight far in the play. I'd I'd be content with that. I I think that would be especially you're talking two or two years removed from I think if luck was had not retired, you're not saying, I mean, the Chiefs will still be in the favor. I think the expectations are like at least Final Four, you know. It completely, the expectations completely change. And because your you're you're 19 season is not a wash in that case. Um, so, yeah, but in my long roundabout way of answering, I, I think Final Four is certainly possible. I mean, would I bet money on it? Probably not. Because um, there are a lot of other teams, I think, kind of in that 10 to 11 win range in the AFC, but, but it's not impossible, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. if Andrew Luck is Got on it. this roster, they are definitely, you know, the Colts and Chiefs have the two best quarterbacks in the AFC. I mean, I, I think we could put that to rest. But, you know, Andrew Luck's not on this roster, and if he was, I still think they lose to the Chiefs. I, I don't think there are Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, uh, Nicole Hardman, you know, there's just too many weapons, you know. And um, Sammy Watkins is still on that roster. I don't know how. Tyron Matthew, Chris <laughs> Johnson. I mean, the, the team is stacked all over the place with weapons. So this Colts team could very have a very nice season and they could have a very nice second season, to your point, Bob. But, yeah, the staying power for this franchise without a quarterback is not going to be long. I mean, as we talked about with defenses and, like, the Titans, this is very much kind of like that Titans scenario. You know, if things break well for them, final four. But if things don't break yeah. well, probably ten and six. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to get, you know, read the room on the temperature of the excitement on the Colts because, Matt, you have hinted that you would really like the Colts this year. and. I get it. I totally get it. You look at the roster, you look at the quarterback upgrade, uh, you look at the schedule, which is kind of kind to, if you think that they are the best team in that division, uh, the rest of the division uh, is competitive, way more competitive than I uh, imagined before I watched any tape or looked at the rosters or anything. So uh, AFC South, kind of interesting when you look, think about it. I mean, there's three teams with potential here, with potential here that could be over 500. So uh, looking forward to watching the AFC South in 2020, which is a sentence I never thought I was going to say before this episode. Um, maybe not the Jags, but other than that, <laughs> looking forward to watching all the other teams. Um, all right. So this is another division in the books, guys. Um, I just want to say that this is the last show before real live sports return in America. So I'm going to give you the floor really quick to discuss the White Sox, Matt. Uh, go ahead. You and Bob can get it out of your system. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'm excited for the year. I think Bob and I are aligned that we want to see a competitive team, you know, so somewhere along the lines of competing for a wild card. You know, I kind of flowed the idea of Buxton's out for the Twins. I expect them to kind of compete for the division. But with Buxton being healthy and everything considered, I mean, the Twins lineup is just so deep. I mean, one through nine, all those guys are probably going to hit. Well, in a 162-game season, I imagine all those guys could hit 20-plus home runs. But with this season, I think the White Sox could be in the mix for a wild card, and I would consider that a success. And I kind of hinted at it with Bob. 
I always said, Bob, you, you are the leveler of my White Sox expectations because I'll go way up here. And Bob's like, no, no, I don't think so. But I'm going to be the greedy White Sox fan. 2020, I demand three World Series championships. That's what I want. I feel unfulfilled from the 2000s. The White Sox got one. I think 2006 could have been a realistic two-peat. I, I think if they would have got that wild card, I, I think there was a chance that that team was good enough. They were better offensively, bullpen-wise, probably not as much, but still a very good team. But I need three this decade. I need three. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, you know, I got mad for some White Sox. You know, I, one or two said, well, you know, the young guys get off a slow start. I'm like, no, we need to have a, we need, we need to have a good season this year. Because you need, because if you don't have a good season, then 2021 people are saying, oh, they're still. I mean, we want 2021, the like, off and running, you know. So, and I, I see no, you know, unless they got, you know, a massive COVID outbreak. You know, I, I would, I think we definitely break 500 and you know get in the say the kind of the wild card mix. Um, not as and I have to make it this year, but. If you're kind of close, then the next year they predict, you know, certainly predict playoffs. And, you know, and, yeah, I put a little less on, on, you know, some of the rookies and hope guys, you know, like Eloy, kind of just take another half step, step forward. See, you know, Cease can at least be closer to above average, you know, average above average with kind of his struggle out of the system last year. uh, that, yeah, and I, I mean, I guess in you know, the big picture, you're saying I, I mean, it's so hard. You know, like I was saying on the, in the Facebook room, I think it was in the baseball life room, and really, I think that really, three franchises have won three World Series since the stroke. I think it's the, or yes, it would be the Yankees, the Giants, and the Reds. I mean, that's very exclusive. I'd be happy, you know, either two, if you want two, that's and that's very difficult to do. It'd be excellent, and or one, but more than the I, I 2000s just felt could have a little because we really didn't have any other playoff series one other than 2005. Um, you know, one and either another pennant and just consistently contending for a good part of eight or nine years. I'd be happy with that. Um, I mean, yeah, three. I mean, being I am a hockey fan too. Though, it was. I mean, now they're they're bad now, but when the Blackhawks, they're good. It was a lot of fun for seven or eight years. You know, every year you're you might win it all, and that was it was pretty. I mean, I'm not really. I, I mean, the Peyton Manning year, you kind of because they were always twelve and four, but they only won once. They didn't quite, you know, close the door and stuff like the, the Saints, Super Bowl, Steelers, divisional. So, yeah, and I'm. I mean, I, I'd say of all the teams, that even the Colts, just because there's that quarterback. If it wasn't for that quarterback question, I you know, Colts as far as who has the best long-term prospects, I have to give it the White Sox, even over just because there's that that quarterback question with the Colts, you know, and, and being Mahomes being in the conference too. <laughs> um, so I, I like long-term what the White Sox are doing. I I agreed with the idea to rebuild. Um, they need, I mean, yeah, people know. I mean, people know me. You know, I I don't if a team's not contending i hate just trying to constantly piece it on the fly because I, I feel like it seems to end up mediocre when they do that like the, the before the last year the mariners were kind of in that they'd got like a bunch of veterans they, they finally decided to blow it up but so that 
Yeah, that's my long white socks take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, neither of you, go ahead, man. Yeah, no, I, I think for me, it's just sustained competitiveness. And the 2000, the early 2010s were brutal. You know, I remember Roberto uh-huh. Alomar, Sandy Alomar, Ken Griffey Jr., Manny Ramirez. I mean, all these guys, yeah, great. If we had them in the early 2000s, that would have been terrific. You know, that would have been murderer's row. But for so long, this team, under Kenny Williams' guides, you know, and I'll, I'll be thankful for Kenny for 2005, but he tore this franchise to pieces. You know, the Courtney Hawkins draft, the Jared Mitchell draft, drafting all these athletes that weren't baseball players. And then to understand why I'm so excited, you have to go back to that misery of just having your heart ripped out every time they would trade for a James Shields. And granted, Tatis, no one knew how good Tatis was going to be, but damn, every year Kenny Williams had a prospect and he would just rip your heart out by trading them. So I'm excited because of all the suffering we went through and all the shit we had to hear. Because why would White Sox fans go see a 500 or worse team knowing that that team had no chance? There was no chance in hell that team was going to win a playoff game, let alone go to the playoffs. So, yeah, we're not going to show up to U.S. Ellier Field. And I respect and I love a lot of Cubs fans, but now it's our turn. It's our turn. Our rebuild's done. You know, finally, it's been long, but that's why we're excited, Randy. Look, I get it. I mean, neither of you mentioned the guy I'm looking forward to most watching uh, on your team, which is Luis Robert. Uh, I, I'm very excited to watch him play more than anyone. I think on the White Sox. I don't have high expectations for the White Sox in general, but I'm not sure what to expect uh, from a team, you know, that's in your position in the circumstances of 2020. Um, so I will observe, and I think they have talent. And I think they have a bright future, but I'm not sure about this year in particular. Um, I'll tell you a quick story that the first thing I ever loved in life were the New York Yankees. And they're very different position than your White Sox are because you see, this is the year I think for us. And I'm not going to be the arrogant Yankee fan, but I'm very confident in the Yankees in 2020. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to make any bold predictions, but don't be surprised when October comes around and the pinstripes are there playing for it all. So guys, I think we talked a lot of baseball here on this football podcast, but I think it was worth it. I had a lot of fun here. Bob, I want to thank you so much for joining us and doing this AFC South breakdown with us. Uh, what'd you think of coming on the show with us? Oh, it was a lot of fun. I've, I've done zoom meetings at my job, but it, it's, I mean, not as much fun as talking sports. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this was um, a lot of uh, fun to just uh, talking football, a little baseball mixed in. Uh, that uh, I'm glad uh, glad it worked out well, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully all this craziness, the pandemic, does not affect either football or baseball seasons. As you know, other than base being 60, but football, you know, you get the season might just other than a shorter preseason, and because um, after what four months without live sports I think we're all uh, ready I mean I I usually don't care that much about spring training but that those ex not that I mean I was excited just to watch those exhibition games as come just because they were on you know it was the White Sox <laughs> so yeah definitely a nice reprieve um it, it was nice and 
like we talk about Randy all the time, um, I, I forget the line in the water boy, but Randy, close us out. <laughs> all right. Well, again, it was so much fun being here with you two guys breaking down another division. Uh, it was a quick turnaround. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for commenting. Uh, and if you haven't yet watched, if you're, you know, eventually listening to this on Spotify, on iTunes, on Anchor, uh, watching us on YouTube, however you're um, consuming the content, we totally appreciate the support that does not go unnoticed. So again, thank you guys so much. Really looking forward to watching some live sports this week. I know it has been a very long time. I cannot believe we've made it four months without anything live. Thank God we're at this point where we can actually watch live sports, which brings me to the, my next thing. Uh, Donk City, which is our flagship show in these life groups in baseball life. I'm repping the flag above me right now. Uh, They're doing a special edition episode of Donk City on Thursday ahead of first pitch of Yankees Nationals on Thursday. So that's at 6 o'clock before first pitch at 7 o'clock. So make sure to check that out with Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado. Um, Matt, that does it for this show. We're going to be back next week with the AFC West. Uh, stay tuned for a potential special guest on that one. Uh, with the, the Super Bowl champs are in that division. I can't wait to come back and talk to you about that more. Matt, do you have any parting words for the audience? You can't hold anything back, Dan. It's the last game of the season. So we're not holding anything back now. We know. We know. All right. For uh, Football Life Presents the Audible, I'm Randy Hammond with Matt Bushnell and Bob Milliken saying so long, be safe, until next time.